Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. And tell your neighbor you are glad to see them today. Well, I want all the children to wave your hand at me real big. Real high, kids. Wave your hand at me real big. I just want to see where you are. I'm super glad you're here. This is a special day. We're talking about America, and I want to talk to all of us today. If you're a child and you didn't get one of these little, uh, well, you color on the outside and it's got notes on the inside and they tell me if you fill it out, you get a free token next week. So if you didn't get one, lift your hand and an usher will be sure and get you one. If you happen to be, I see a lot of hands, ushers. If you happen to be an adult and you like to color and you hadn't colored in church in a long time, <laughs> you lift your hand too and we'll make sure we get you. <laughs> hey, we're glad you're here. Well, I'm going to interrupt my series that I've been doing called Supernatural. Lord willing, we'll pick it up next week. Normally, when I preach, when I teach, I'll share at least 20 scriptures in the course of the message. But today is a little bit different. Today is a history lesson. We're going to go back in time uh, uh, as we celebrate this week on Thursday, the 4th of July. Uh, 1776, and kids, the first blank on your little form there is coming up pretty quick because it's been 243 years since we received our national birth certificate, since uh, some very brave people many, many years ago broke away from England, so we would no longer be a part, those 13 colonies, a part of the British Empire, but we would be the United States of America. Well, how many can agree with me that the United States of America is probably the best place on earth to live? It is. It. There are thousands of people literally every day. I read that as high as a million people are coming into America illegally on top of those that come legally. I mean, they're coming in by the thousands every day and uh, because they want the freedom, they want the uh, economic prosperity, uh, they want the freedom of religion, they want so many things in America, and this is the nation we celebrate. Uh, America is not a great nation accidentally or because of luck. The Bible says this, uh, Psalm 33, and I want you all to say it with me. It says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Let me say that again. Blessed is the nation. In other words, the Lord's blessing, his kindness, his prosperity falls on the nation that chooses to follow God. Now, we certainly are not at all of us in America as Christians, but I want to suggest to you in the strongest terms, America was founded as a Christian nation. That's very unpopular today. Many would say, well, you're just wrong. But I want to show you today that I'm not wrong. I want to show you today from the very words of our founders. I want to show you Supreme Courts, even as late as 1930s, that declared America has been a Christian nation, founded on Christian principles. That doesn't mean that everybody has to be a Christian. It doesn't mean Christians try to force other people to our religion. But it simply means our founders built America on the Bible, and I think I can uh, bring a little enlightenment today. Let me paint a little background before we get into the history lesson, uh, because there is an assault on religious freedom that's been happening about the last 50 years. Now, it's kind of odd. I want to show some pictures, if you think about this, in our Capitol Rotunda in uh, the halls of Congress, Washington, D.C. How many have been there? Been there? Tremendous thing to see. Uh, but anyway, if you go in the halls of our Congress, you'll see this painting. And by the way, these paintings were from 1840 to 55. This is Pocahontas. Pocahontas was the first convert to Christianity uh, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And this is a picture of her baptism. Now, that's pretty significant. Let me give you another one. 
This is a picture of uh, Columbus when he came to Florida. Uh, Columbus planted, uh, not only planting a flag, but he was planting a cross, and he dedicated the land to God. This is in our capital rotunda. Here is DeSoto. As DeSoto was crossing the Mississippi River, he too planted a Christian cross and dedicated the land to God. Um, one more, undeniable, these are the pilgrims as they left Europe, uh, the first pilgrims coming. And guess what he's holding in his hand? He's holding a Geneva Bible, one of the earliest translations of the Bible. Well, it's pretty clear about where our history has been. Uh, if you just go through the monuments in Washington, if you look at, uh, uh, look at statues and different things, I mean, it's incredible how much is literally etched in stone there. But we live in a land today, and kids, this is why I want you here, is because we're being told that America didn't have this Christian foundation. We're being told today that, uh, uh, that it was just not true that God was, uh, the Christians had founded this nation but there is an attack on religious freedom that's begun in the last 50 years. By religious freedom, I mean the right to live out your faith, not just in church on Sunday, but in your world. If your conviction is, and you're a business owner like uh, uh, Mr. Kathy of Chick-fil-A, and you're going to close on Sunday because it's the Lord's Day, that's your right to do that. It's a right of conscience. If you are a, are a nurse, and in your hospital they perform abortions, and it's against your conscience, you believe it's the taking of a human life, you should be excused because it is a religious freedom. It's an expression of your religion outside of the walls of the church. There's an open hostility to Christianity in America, and Christians are being bullied. It started in the 60s when the Supreme Court removed the Ten Commandments and Bible reading from schools. Mangers were then systematically removed from public buildings celebrating the birth of Christ. Judges have endeavored to restrict prayer in schools. Bakers and florists have been told to violate their Christian convictions or be fined. Christians have been fired from their job for privately standing for a traditional marriage. Many Christians have posted Facebook posts in support of a man of woman in the right of marriage, and they've lost their jobs. Crosses have been forcibly removed from cemeteries. Chaplains are told not to pray in Jesus' name, and under God is often removed from our Pledge of Allegiance. We may not experience a lot of these things real up close here in, in a, a, the Bible Belt in Texarkana, like other Christians in part of the West Coast and the East Coast and across America, Colorado, and other places. But I've got good news. Freedom of religion is winning in the courts. And I want to show you a picture. This is called the uh, Bladenburg Cross. It was erected in 1925, remembering 49 World War I soldiers. So almost 100 years uh, that this cross has stood, and uh, uh, an atheist, American Humanist Association brought a lawsuit to tear it down. And uh, it made it all the way to the Supreme Court, and uh, I, I want to show you uh, one of the attorneys yeah, involved. This is a major victory for religious liberty yesterday, the Supreme Court ruling that a 40-foot World War I Memorial Peace Cross does not violate the separation of church and state, allowing it to remain standing on public land outside Washington. Let's bring in our panel, Hiram Sasser, General Counsel for First Liberty Institute, and American Legion National Judge Advocate Kevin Bartlett. Great to have both of you here this morning. Hiram, I'll start with you first. What did you make of the ruling? Well, this was a great victory for us. I mean, we, we have six votes to overturning bad precedent under Lemon. Uh, that was really terrorizing our veterans' memorials for decades. And so we think we actually have now put the, uh, the, the nail in the coffin of these types of uh, any kind of legal attacks against veterans' memorials 
and, and any other memorials and monuments that happen to have religious imagery. You can throw up the Supreme Court ruling on the Maryland Cross and the way uh, the justices went on this. The majority, seven of the nine justices, agreed uh, that that cross should stand. And the point is, Kevin, it's not just that cross, but others like it as well. That's correct, Sandra. If you go on Legion.org, our website for the American Legion, we have almost 3,000 memorials that have been identified by our members throughout the nation. This memorial or this uh, grave site for these 49 heroes from World War I will stay. Many people in the American Legion say mission accomplished. I say let's continue identifying more of them and preserve them for future generations. Hey, that's worth an applause, huh? Now, let me say that did not happen by accident. Religious freedom cases are being won across America increasingly. And Kelly Shackerford of the First Liberty Institute, it's a Christian legal law firm representing many of these cases, he said the reason this is happening is because newly appointed federal judges are upholding the Constitution. Uh, it almost doesn't matter what the Congress does or with the vote of the people. You get a federal judge somewhere and they undermine the vote of the people. You in Arkansas voted, uh, made a vote about, I think it was abortion not too long ago, and the judge threw it out. Uh, they were in, starting to build the, uh, a border wall uh, along our southern border, and this week a judge stopped it. Judges have great power. But whether you like President Trump or not, one thing you, you can say is he has appointed 132 federal judges who confirmed who were vetted and confirmed because they said they believed in applying the constitution to modern day issues yeah. that is a huge victory, uh, victory and elections do indeed matter uh, again as i paint this picture beginning in the 60s secular humanists have attempted to destroy every vestige of our christian heritage it could be a, a state emblem and a small picture of a cross or a bible and they want it off but what they want to replace it with is a man-centered, godless, government-controlled state. It's very clear we understand that. A man-centered, godless, government-controlled state. Uh, they want to destroy religious freedom. But yet the men and women, those who gave us this nation, our founders, unarguably were people who believed in the Bible and wanted God to be first and the state to be subservient to God. Um, I'm gonna, this is not taught in our, in our schools today. It's not uh, talked about in America, but I'm going to show you that it's true. I'll show you from the own words of our founders and our Supreme Courts and what they've said over time. Today, if, uh, when our founders are talked about, it's usually de they're depicted as greedy white men of privilege who only gave lip service to God and came to America to pillage and enslave people for gain. When you learn about Columbus, you don't know that in his diary... He wrote down that he felt Jesus Christ was leading him to this new land. There's just things about our Christian history that are omitted. Uh, some of our founders, or certainly none of them were perfect. Uh, some of our founders were owned, owned slaves. Well, thank God all that's behind us as America. But yet some of our founders were involved in the abolitionist movement. Um, our founders were not perfect people, but how many know, if you get rid of all them, if you remove all the statues across America that remember anything about our past, who do we put up? Because there is nobody perfect. There is nobody perfect in the world, but it is unarguable that our founders left an indelible mark of Christianity in the foundation of this nation, and I'm going to show you that today. Let's begin our, our, our kind of our history lesson. Uh, our, let's begin first with our founders' view of the Bible. 
Uh, I'm going to give you the words of several. President uh, Andrew Jackson, now he's the 17th president, so this is not, you know, right at the beginning. Andrew Jackson said, the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. In other words, American government rests on the Bible. Uh, Benjamin Rush, now this is a big one. He signed the Declaration of Independence, but he also was the father or founder of public schools. Listen to what he said. He said, the great enemy of the salvation of man never invented a more effective way to eliminate Christianity from the world than by persuading mankind that it was improper to read the Bible at schools. In other words, if you want to remove God's idea, the ideas about God, what God has taught us through the Bible, if you want to eradicate it from culture, the best way to do it is to get it out of the schools. This is why, listen, every nation, every dictator, every communist nation, every socialist nation, they want the children. Anytime, remember the schools used to be governed locally, and it was local control, and now there's a push towards more and more, not only state control, but more importantly, federal control. That's what the Common Core is. It's trying to get everybody under not only one intellectual teaching, but one philosophical or one value teaching. Well, this is, this is what happens, and when you remove God from the loop, you end up with what we have. Listen to what uh, uh, John Quincy Adams said, our sixth president. He said, no book in the world deserves to be so unceasingly studied and so profoundly meditated upon as the, as the Bible. Uh, John Jay, first chief justice, think the Supreme Court. John Jay said this, the Bible is the best of all books. It is the word of God, and it teaches us how to be happy in this world and the next. Now, these are words from our founders. Uh, interesting kids. Here's your second question. It was the year 1781. His name was Robert Aiken. He was the official printer of the Continental Congress. And he asked Congress if they could print Bibles, and think about this, to use in schools. Print Bibles to use in schools. The full Congress approved his request, and when they printed the Bible, they put an endorsement in there. Now think about this. Resolve that the United States in Congress recommends this Bible to the inhabitants of the United States. Can you imagine our Congress being asked to do something like that today? They would go insane. But yet the founders, the people that gave us this great nation that we steward, built it on the Bible. And strange, in 1982, Newsweek, now Newsweek magazine is not a Christian publication. How many know that? It's a secular publication. But 1982, about 40 years ago, listen to what they, they said. Historians are discovering that the Bible perhaps even more than the Constitution, is our founding document. Secular Newsweek said, we may not like it, but the facts are the Bible formed the foundation of this United States of America. See, my problem with the revisionists is, is they won't be honest. Why don't they just come out and say, we don't want God and we don't want the Bible, rather than trying to tell us things that are opposite from what's very clear in our, 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 the words of our, of our founders. Uh, something just about many of our founders had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to what Samuel Adams, he signed the declaration. He said this, Samuel said, I, I rely on the merits of Jesus Christ for a pardon of all my sins. Uh, listen to what John Witherspoon, also a signer of the declaration. And when these men signed this declaration, it was a you remember 
people, it was the compound in Waco, Ruby Ridge, other places where people, where they were perceived as militias or whatever the case is, but they said, we're, we're seceding, we don't like what's going on in Texas or we don't want, like what's going on in America, we're going to do our own thing. You remember? And what happened? The full force of the U.S. government came against them and squelched it. Well, in their day, it was the full force of the British Navy. It was the full force of, the, uh, uh, of Great Britain, the most powerful empire in the world at the time. So here these guys are signing this Declaration of Independence, just handfuls of people knowing that it could cost their lives. One of them said this, uh, John Witherspoon, he said, Jesus Christ is the only Savior of sinners. If you're not reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, you must forever perish. Let's talk about our Revolutionary War and our nation's pursuit of independence. By the way, how many went to the fireworks last night? Yeah, lots of people went. They say 25, 30,000 people. You know the history of fireworks, uh, while we celebrate them on the 4th of July, uh, it's because in our, nation's, our nation, it was 1777. That's a year after the Declaration of Independence. War is still going on, but they shot fireworks up in the air to celebrate the birth of the new nation. Uh, it was not just for entertainment purposes, but it was trying to instill some hope in the people that they might be able to live through this war. But listen to what they gave us in our founding document. The Declaration of Independence says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. The concept of, of truth today is, is pretty much what every individual determines as opposed to absolute truth that anyone can understand that all men or all people are created equal and we are endowed by our creator. This is a direct reference to God, that not an evolutionist, not some power of the state, but God endowed us with certain unalienable rights. You know what this word unalienable means? Unalienable means it cannot be taken away. How many know our rights don't come from government? Our rights come from God. And this is what this document recognizes and the rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's why those that stand for the rights of children in the womb, they call it the right to life based on what our, uh, not only the Bible, but what our Declaration of Independence said. Now, kids, here's number four. Uh, let me show you a picture here, and I want you to, let's jump ahead now. We're going to jump ahead from the American Revolution. The war is over, but now we've got Benjamin Franklin and the whole gang, and they don't have a constitution. They don't know how we're going to, we've got a declaration of independence, we're free, but now what are we going to do with it? How are we going to govern ourselves? Well, here's what, uh, here's what Benjamin Franklin said. He said, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth. In other words, they couldn't figure out how to make the Constitution work. He says, how has it happened that we have not once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights? This is a picture of God contrasting light with darkness to illuminate our understanding. In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, in other words, when we had war, we had daily prayer for divine protection. Our prayers were graciously answered. What he's saying is, is he's saying, look, when we were in trouble, we prayed and asked God to help us. But now that the trouble is gone, we hadn't prayed. What's wrong with us? And they set themselves to prayer, and they gave birth to the longest-running constitution in the history of the world. I think God was behind that. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Here's kind of a, I find this kind of funny but profound. Back to the American Revolution, there was a British governor that wrote a letter back to home base at Britain, and he said, if you ask an American who's his master, mind you now, Great Britain has a king. And if you don't do what the king says, off with your head. 
If you ask an American who's his master, he'll tell you he has none. He has no governor but Jesus Christ. That was the spirit of America. Our sixth president said this, and this is amazing. Our sixth president said the highest glory of the American Revolution was that it connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of the sixth president of the United States said our government and Christianity are like that. He was not saying it was a theocracy. He was not saying that we're trying to force everyone to be Christians or off with their head. Listen, freedom of religion implies you can worship God any way you choose or you don't have to worship God. That's what freedom of religion is. But what, what, what he was saying is the Christian message brought together with our government. Now let me tell you the lie that we've been taught since I believe the 1940s. The, the lie are improperly interpreted of the separation of church and state. How many have ever heard that phrase, separation of church and state? Uh, how many think it's in the Constitution? Trick question. It's not. That phrase comes from uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson that wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptist Association. And they were afraid at that time that in their, uh, uh, in, in, in their state that they were going to have a state church like they did in England. And that's what the people feared was the state church. So what Jefferson said, oh no, there's a wall between the church and the state. But that wall was not to protect the state from the church. It was to protect the church from the state's interference. And in the 40s, they pulled that out. The Supreme Court changed precedent. And they said, we're heading in a secular direction and we're going to use this. So basically, we don't want religion to have anything to do, particularly the Christian religion, with uh, the way that our nation is governed. They were wrong. Um, okay, let's, uh, uh, this, is, this is not a funny one, but this is probably the most profound thing in the message today. I ran across this, and uh, uh, it's a, a quote from the State Constitution of Delaware, 1776. Now, think about it. This is when the uh, uh, Declaration of Independence was written. If you wanted to run for public office, listen to what their Constitution said. Every person who should be a chosen member of either House, Congress, Senate, or is appointed to any office or any place of trust, uh, the Secretary, the Treasurer, the Governor, will subscribe to the following Declaration. Now, I want us to pretend just a second that we've all just been elected to the Congress in Delaware in 1776. I want you to raise your right hand. Kids, I want you to do it too. I want you to raise your right hand, and we're going to read together the words on the screen, and uh, you put your name in like I'm going to put mine in. I, John Miller, do profess faith in God the Father and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, and the Holy Ghost, one God, blessed forevermore, and I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures and the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. Now... That is serving in governmental capacity in the state of Delaware. How many can say we've drifted a long ways from that? Sure we have. Uh, don't believe the lie that America was not founded as a Christian nation by Christian people upon biblical principles. Let's talk about early education in America. Um, there's a, a, a recent Ph.D. from Columbia University, Dr. Lawrence Crimin. And by the way, I've got all my notes. They're all online and bibliography is quite extensive this week. But uh, here's what Dr. Crimin observed. He said, during the colonial period, now listen to this. The kids, this is number five, the Bible 
was the single most important cultural influence in the lives of Anglican-Americans, Anglo-Americans. What does that mean? What influences us today? Well, the internet and, and blogs and news channels and, and books and periodicals and sports teams and what Madonna thinks and the president and all that. What he's saying of their day, of everything out there in the world, the Bible was the most influential force that shaped the nation. Now that's big. Kids, I want you to look on the screen. I want to show you a picture of a book, How Kids Learn How to Read. This was what was called the New England Primer. And you believe it or not, it was used even up until about the mid-1900s, uh, uh, about till about 1950. 1950 or so, and here's how you learn to read your ABCs. See the ABCs here, A, B, C, D? Here's what the letter A. In Adam, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. Here's a picture of Adam and a picture of Eve. Someone there kind of looks like a snake and they ate from the tree. So you learn the letter A with Adam. The letter B... Heaven to find. How do you find heaven? The Bible in mind. Here's a little girl with the Bible. Here's C, the cross. Christ is crucified for sinners died. This is how America learned how to read. When they learned not only ABCs and phonics, they also learned uh, Bible stories. They learned right and wrong. But something changed in about, mid in about 1950. Uh, Dick and Jane readers came into vogue. Anyone, can anyone remember a Dick and Jane reader? Now listen, they were not immoral. They held, you know, the cultural character that had been imbued in the nation. But what they did not do is they did not teach Bible stories. They were fun and they were nice. But what was happening gradually, why was that happening? It was because many parents didn't want their kids to be taught the Bible. And the secular educators got right behind the push. The ACLU got right behind them with lawsuits. And we got rid of these vestiges of God in our public education. And now we have books like this. Heather has two mommies. And we're teaching little preschool kids that it's okay that, uh, that two women would both call themselves mom and, and, uh, and raise a child. This is America today. Let me say this. One of the saddest things that when I broach any subject like this is we've already used the word hate to describe disagreement. I want to publicly say that I love everybody. You look around the church. I love you if you're black, if you're white, if you're oriental, if you're Hispanic. Come on now. If you're Asian, whatever your ethnic background is. I love you based whatever your sexual background is or sexual orientation. If you're a virgin and you're still not married, I love you. If you Listen, if you sinned sexually last night, I love you. Uh, if you're married, a man and a woman, I love you. If you are in a gay relationship, I love you. But you know what I'm going to do? If you're addicted to pornography, I love you. But I'm going to tell you the truth, what the Bible has to say. I'm going to teach you what God's Word says, and what you choose to do with it is your choice. Well, anyway, this is kind of America today. Uh, let's talk about universities a minute. Uh, the first 108 colleges in America were founded by Christians upon Christian principles. Now think about that. Most of them, they train uh, seminaries. They mostly trained, uh, trained uh, uh, Christian leaders. How about Harvard University? Harvard University, in my lifetime, has been epitomized as the greatest, most influential place you could go to school. Now, if you, when you went to school at Harvard, uh, it, it, I think it was over 300 years ago. This was in the 1600s when Harvard was founded. But they had what were called rules and precepts. So when you went through orientation at Harvard, they would give you an orientation. 
uh, just like any school you go to. Or, or like, for example, if you're new in our church, I hope you'll come to our Connect class. It's a week from Wednesday is when it starts. It's an orientation to the church. Well, if you're a bunch of college kids sitting down there, you would, the second rule of uh, our precept was this. Let every student be plainly instructed. The main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. The only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Today, let me tell you where that school is. In the year 2016, the Washington Times reports that a Harvard law professor, probably tenured, teaches the students, his name was Mark Tushnet, has called for liberals to begin treating like Nazis those who subscribe to Christian or conservative beliefs. Don't you let that sink in just a second. You're paying good money to send your kids to school. You've raised them in a Christian home. And now a professor is teaching them that a Christian is to be treated like a Nazi. Nazis are still, be, any that they can find alive, are still being uh, 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 prosecuted for war crimes that happened under Adolf Hitler. This is the change of thinking. I suggest we need to return to the advice of Dr. Benjamin Rush. He's the one that signed the Declaration of Independence. But listen, he founded the public schools. Listen to what he said. The Bible should be read in our schools in preference to all other books because it contains the greatest portion of the kind of knowledge which is calculated to produce private and public happiness. Long, complex sentence, but what does it mean? We need to be teaching the Bible first to our kids because that's the way the nation's going to be healthy and strong. That's the way individuals are going to be happy on this earth. That's the way we're taught to get along. That's the way we'll find our ultimate purpose in life as it relates to the God of the Bible. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Kids, here's number six. America's national motto. What is it? What is it? Yeah, in God we trust. Now, to own your money, I, I, don't look, I don't look at my money very often. What I'm looking for is not in God I'm trusting. I'm looking in the corner and see if it's got a 1, a 10, or 20, or maybe even a 100 sometimes. But it's there. It's right there. Uh, do you remember this poster? Uh, this, this is for the state of Texas. There's also one just like this with our national model with Arkansas. Uh, Dr. Sterling Lacey, who used to be a member of our church, he was a county judge. Uh, he took on this project, and, and many of us gave money to put this plaque in, in literally, I think, all of our schools around the area. Uh, I, I, I mean, I heard the school in Falk put it in their bus garage and everywhere else. Uh, these posters are there because it's our national motto. Now, let's talk about that a second. Motto is a pretty big thing. Uh, where does In God We Trust come from? It comes from our national anthem. National anthem is what the Star Spangled Banner. And unless you uh, go to a ball game, you may not hear it today. But this banner was written by Francis Scott Key in 1814. You remember, he had watched the bombardment of Fort McHenry, the War of 1812, which literally means, I guess he was on the bank, I don't know where he was, but he saw these British ships shooting their rockets or shooting their, uh, their uh, 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 cannonballs at this fort, American fort. And when the sun came up in the morning, the fort, though tattered, was still standing. But guess what was flying? It was the American flag. It was the Star-Spangled Banner. This is why it so hurts me and saddens me when in America today, when the, uh, our national anthem is played or our flag is displayed, people put their hands in their pockets or, or they sit down or they turn around. Listen, we don't have much that unites us as a people. Our politics are based in America today on, uh, on dividing us into groups. Uh, if you're black and I'm white, uh, I don't like you. 
And if you're old and you're young, you don't like each other. And if you're oriental, you don't like a... I mean, we're just divided over everything in the world in America. It's called identity politics. And then the politicians get the different groups. They say what they want to say. Did you watch the debate the other night? They say what people want to hear to get that little group to follow right behind them. Well, we, what do we have that unites us as American people? If you don't have anything that unites you, what happens, friends, is your nation is destroyed and disappears. And the flag, the, arguably a symbol, it's a symbol not only our freedom, but it's a symbol of the sacrifice that men and women have given since this nation's founding to give us the freedom that we enjoy today. That's why when I see the flag, I proudly put my hand on my heart and I proudly stand for our nation's anthem. Back to the motto, when he wrote the song, the fourth verse, fourth verse declares, praise the power, that's God, praise God that has made and preserved us as a nation, then conquer we must, our cause it is just, and this be our motto, say it with me, in God is our trust. In God we trust first appeared on American coins in 1864, and it's interesting, a lot of things happened in the 1950s. Congress adopted it as our national motto. Uh, two, in 1954, uh, the words under God were added to the Pledge of Allegiance. And you know why that happened at that period of time? It's because uh, Russia, uh, 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 the communist state, was rising as a world power. And our leaders wanted to differentiate America, who believed in God, to the communists that believed in no God. Hence, we declared that as our, as our, as our national motto. Uh, I have noticed uh, Bowie County police cars. If you noticed our county police cars, guess what they have on the back of the car? They have the motto, in God we trust. Uh, I, if you see Sheriff Prince, I want you to tell him thank you or any deputy. Come on, that's a good thing right here in, 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 in Bowie County, Texas. Now, let me shift gears. What can you and I as Christians do? Again, we're in the Bible Belt. We're clapping today. But I'm telling you, religious hostility is out there. And we are one election away from going the other direction. You take, I don't, and I don't even like the words because the words polarize us. But just start going back the opposite direction. Go in a direction of socialism. Go in a direction of liberalism, whatever you want to call it. Go away from God. One of our parties even voted to remove God from the platform. I don't know if they did it or not. What if we go in that direction? You know, the Democrats recently passed in the House of Representatives what was called the Equality Act, which sounds real good that all people are treated equal, but it forms the basis of pretty much throwing me in jail, what I just told you a couple minutes ago, about disagreeing with some issues of sexual morality. See, this is where America could easily hand up if, head up if Christians don't get involved. I want to suggest you to imitate three people, and I'll close with this. Imitate Paul, Daniel, and Jonah. Let me tell you what Paul did. Use our, use our rights as a person with dual citizenship, as a Christian but also as an American, and get involved. Let me say it this way. Stand up for your rights and religious freedom. When Paul was uh, about to be flogged, Paul said this. Uh, for unjustly he was arrested. But they stretched out their whips to beat Paul, kind of like waterboarding. And Paul asked the question, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And they said, no, it's not. In other words, in the middle of the situation, he stood up. So what would we stand up for? I suggest you stand up for the first right in the Bill of Rights that says Congress shall make no law 
respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. We have been lied to for 50 years about this establishment clause and establishing a, 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 a state religion and all that kind of stuff. Let us focus on prohibiting the free exercise thereof, which means Congress has no right to make a law restricting my religious freedoms or yours as an American citizen. Mind you now, rights come from God. I want to show you a picture of a man that has epitomized this. He's just a Christian fellow. His name's Jake Phillips, but he happens to own a, uh, a, a, a bakery called Masterpiece Cake Shop in the state of Colorado. Uh, two, I believe it was two women came in and asked that he would make a cake to celebrate their marriage. And he said it was against his religious beliefs. Uh, you don't have to share his beliefs. There's pros and cons either way, but he said, I, I think it's wrong. Uh, they said, okay, we'll sue you. And the commission fined him. I think it was $135,000, very high. But it got taken all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said this. They said, you can't do that. The Supreme Court said freedom of religion trumps the right to have somebody violate their rights to make a cake. If you can get a cake somewhere else, then get your cake somewhere else and let him bake what he wants to bake. That's freedom. Well, guess what happened after the Supreme Court said that? A man, I think it was a man who was transgendering from a man, or transgender, who was gen, who, <laughs> he's trying to be what he wasn't. And, and he went in to ask to bake a cake to celebrate his transition, and the man said, this, and he was not ugly. There was no hate in that. He just said, I, I think it's wrong. And he suggested a baker to go to that wasn't good enough, so he got sued too. What's my point? I pray it never happens to you or me, but if it does, have the courage to stand up for our rights to practice freely our religion, not only for us, but for our children in days ahead. Give the Lord a good hand. Here's a second. Be like Daniel, which means do what God says is right, even if it's unpopular. Now, I'll summarize the story, but basically, Daniel is a, is, a, is a Jewish man, loves the Lord. He, he lives in a pagan land, uh, and, and he's been promoted. He's like a vice president. He's way high up in the government, and everybody else is jealous of him, and they want to get rid of him. So they make up a phony law. This is what happens all the time. They make up a phony law. Let's read it. Uh, they said, King, you should make a law that's going to be strictly enforced. There's the key. Give orders that if any person prays to anyone except to you, in other words, we want you to pray to the king as the idol. If they, anyone that prays to you, they're going to be thrown in the den of lions. But my inspiration, look what he did, verse 10. Daniel learned the law had been signed. He went home and he, he prayed three times a day, just as he'd always done. So what am I saying? There may be a price to pay one day for being a Christian. I guarantee you all across America, people are paying that price today. We're not looking for a fight. I don't want to fight. I don't like conflict. But if push comes to shove and you're asking me to deny my God, I pray to God I have the courage to stand strong. Come on. Even if it costs me, even if I have to make a sacrifice. And lastly, be like Jonah. And why do I say be like Jonah? Jonah didn't particularly want to do what he did, but he did it anyway. Jonah basically went to a pagan people and he gave them God's word. And 200,000 people came to Christ. Or can't turn their hearts to the Lord. So what's the point of that story? You and I have the words of life. God's word has the power to change a person's heart. Yeah. 
light comes in where there's darkness. And however you communicate God's word, it could be on Facebook, it could be in a face-to-face situation, wherever it might be. Even saying something as simple as God bless you. You know, I say this to every person virtually I ever meet. If I'm on the phone with customer service for the 45th time, I'll still hang up and say, God bless you and have a good day. I was talking to my neighbor the other day. We were trying to solve a problem, and I hung up the phone, and I said, God bless you. It's just a part of me. Something like that has the power to change someone. Let us not be silent, but let us speak God's word. Come on, give the Lord a hand. I'm, I'm, I'm done today. We're going to close this way. We're going to have two of our pastors, our pastor and an elder, come up and, and, and lead us in a prayer for America. Across America today, it's called Call to Fall, and it's a call for Americans, Christians, to pray for America. We're going to do it for just a minute or two. But I want to close with this quote, kind of where we began in the start of the message. The question is, what makes a Christian nation? And I want you to listen to Supreme Court Justice Brewer. This was the late 1800s, and I want you to listen to this. America is of all the nations of the world most justly called a Christian nation. Why? Because Christianity has so largely shaped and molded it. Now, a couple years ago, President Obama said America, America was not a Christian nation. We're not acting like a Christian nation today. In that respect, I'd agree with it. But we were founded as a Christian nation. And as being founded as a Christian nation, we were open to any type of religious worship or no worship at all. It was the freedom to worship God. Listen to as late as 1931. The entire Supreme Court said this. Say this with me. We are a Christian people. We're a Christian people. 1931, according to one another, the equal right of religious freedom. Which means you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to worship God. But we believe that this is one of the foundational rights of America. Uh, uh, And acknowledging with reverence the duty of obedience to the will of God. May that be our herald as we leave today. Our duty and allegiance to the will of God as we go forwards in the United States of America. Give the Lord one more hand for our nation. And uh, let me invite you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer. And kids, I'm glad you came. Don't forget to bring that little paper next week and you'll get a free token. God bless you. I love you. Would you pray with us for just a moment for our nation? Just bow your heads. and Lord, we just come to you right now in Jesus' name. God, we thank you, Lord, that we were born in America. God, we're blessed. Lord, we have freedoms. Lord, we get to come and and seek you, Lord, in in the house of God, even today. And Lord, we thank you for those things. But God, we know that there are many in our nation, Lord, who have walked away from you. God, there are many who are lost. Lord, there are many who are are held captive in sin and issues. Lord, they've been deceived by the enemy. And, And Lord, we just cry out today, Lord, that you would just send your spirit to sweep across our nation. God, that you would begin to move in the hearts of our people. God, you would turn us back to you, Lord, that we would uh, obey, Lord, your commandments. God, we would follow your scripture, Lord, you would speak to us. And God, we pray that you would uh, turn the hearts of our leaders, Lord, touch our young people, God, that they wouldn't be deceived, but Lord, they would be uh, a generation that pursues you. 
And so, Lord, we thank you that we live in America, but God, we need you to come and move. And so, Lord, we ask you to come in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd look up at me just for a second. You know, when I hear what Pastor John preaches about, and he, he takes us back to the founding of the country, and I think about when I was a boy and how different it, it is, and then I see how it is now, and it, our culture is sliding at the pace it is. It seems hopeless to me sometimes. I just, sometimes in my mind, I just give it up. I just think, well, he's coming back one day, or we're going to all be in heaven, and, and he'll resolve all this then. And I feel like prayers for my country are are, are hopeless sometimes. And, and when I do my nightly prayer and daily prayers and I, I get to the part where I'm saying, your kingdom come, your will be done, I kind of branch off from there. And I say, that, that's when I say, God, help our country, help, help, help our nation, help our president. But we have a parallel in the Old Testament that, that speaks to this, that gives us hope, that lets you know that your prayers uh, do matter. If I can reboot here. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah is in prison. He's prophesied against Judah, against the king. And God had told him, he said, Israel and Judah have been corrupt. They've aroused me to anger. They've sinned against me from the day they were built. From their youth, they've, they've been evil. And I'm going to give them over to the Babylonians, and we're going to wipe them off the map. We're going to burn them. They've, they've given their kids to Molech. They've gotten the temple. They've desecrated it. And he's going through all of this, what he's going to do to them. They're going to be taken captive into another land. And then it just stops and starts over in 37. There's an about face in God's uh, edict as to what's going to happen to these people. And he says, behold, all of a sudden it's all good news. He says, behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger. I'll bring them back. And I'll make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people and I'll be their God. And listen, it's what he says, I will give them one heart. That he is able to collectively move on a nation. That he can do a whole nation. He can turn them. So maybe we can pray that. He said, I'll do it for their own good and for the good of their children. And I'll make with them an everlasting covenant. And I'll put the fear of me in their heart. I'll put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. He's done it before. Lord, we, we just submit ourselves to you, Lord. And we just thank you for our heritage. We thank you for because we know of the intention you had for our country. That we've been good in the past. We've sent missionaries all over the world for the kingdom's sake. Father, we just ask that you would collectively turn our hearts, that you would give us one heart for the kingdom, Lord, and that you would give us the boldness and the courage to stand up for you, despite what the consequences may be, that you would restore our nation and turn it back to you, Lord. We ask this in your name. And we agree on that, don't we? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. As we close, they're going to do a worship song. Altar team can come up here, and they'll pray with you about anything. So if you have a prayer need, let them agree with you. But, you know, we are in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And are you really free? Somebody asked me a question quite a while ago. said, if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? I didn't have an answer to that. And he began to tell me I had to have a personal relationship with the Lord. And I really wasn't free until I asked Christ into my heart. And that's when I became free. So if you're here today, you're not sure where you'd spend eternity, you're not really walking in freedom, or maybe you asked Christ in your life and you got off track and you're bound up again, I'm going to tell you there's freedom here today 
and it's through the cross, what Jesus did on that cross. So as we close, if you'll just meet us over at the cross, if you need to get things right with God, if you're not 100% sure you'd go to heaven, please come over there. We can say a simple prayer, and you give the God of creation to come live in your heart. You give him that opportunity, and you will truly be free. Amen. So pastor's asking to continue to sing. Altar team comes here, comes up here, and you can come to the cross if you need to get right with God.